0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Carla Ruffell join us. Carla is an experienced business owner. She founded the international recruitment business Beecher Madden in 2010 before overseeing the acquisition by Nicole Curtin. In 2020, she joined our Orpheus Cyber as the chief operating officer. Orpheus is a threat intelligence company with a SaaS platform that helps organizations manage their own risk and that of their third parties with an easy to understand cyber risk score. She is the host of industry interviews on the cyber Talks media platform and the Zero Hour podcast. Carla was included in SC Magazine's Top 50 Women in Security in 2019. Welcome to the show, Carla. Thank you for being with us.
1: No, I'm really glad to come on. I know
0: we we were we imposed at the last minute and uh, you really graced us. So thank you very much for that. But I got to ask you, you know, looking at uh, your background. Very interesting. You started off in recruiting and now you're the COO of a cybersecurity firm. What's that journey like? How did that take place from recruiting to cyber?
1: Do you know what, you're the second person to ask me this today, Um, because to me it just seems really natural, but um, I guess it isn't so yeah, I started off in recruiting and then about 2010, people were saying like, you've got to focus more on this cyber thing, like cyber is big and all our clients wanted to talk to us about cyber, they didn't want to talk to us about resilience or crisis management anymore. Um, And it really just exploded from there, because we were one of the first recruitment companies to just focus on cyber security. Um, and then my network has kind of grown as the industry has grown. So I've been fortunate enough to meet and interview, huge number of CISOs and CEOs across the industry and, you know, running your own recruitment firm, you know, we grew that to a reasonable amount of people and before it sold and. I wasn't really a recruiter, like you know. (laughs) May I? I think I did like two placements in five years or something. (laughs) I'm I'm really you know a business leader. My my skills are in developing people, developing talent. They're in marketing. Um, they're in running operations, running sales teams. So kind of moving into Orpheus um, was just a really natural step. Tell me
0: if, if this is a hard question. One mistake that younger companies universally make as a startup uh, that challenges their own success? Is there a single piece of advice or challenge you've seen in your own experience?
1: I'm not sure if it's universal. Maybe it is because I've, I've seen a few. <laughs> My biggest mistake was thinking I could do everything. We reached this tipping point, and I didn't want to bring in more people because you know I could do it best. And I think if we'd have brought in some more people at that point, we probably could have accelerated our growth. And I I don't know if that's a challenge everyone has, but I think I see it um, inside, but, you know, when do I take funding? When do I bring in, you know, a COO or a CTO or whatever it is, you know, when do I expand that out? Um, So that's what I see as the big challenge. I would
0: concur. We saw that in our own firm, Uh, having Recognizing that you need to delegate to other folks and bring in other experts, um, you, you really have to, instead of doing it all yourself, is something that can be limiting. And and it has to do with, you know, who knows the story better than the, the founders, the partners of the company. Uh, it takes some time on everyone's part to enable the rest of the team to understand those things so that they can become articulate in it.
1: You know, I was quite young when I started that company, and I can look back now and sort of say, I think there was some, well, there definitely was some inexperience in some areas. You know, I ne- didn't necessarily have the confidence in enforcing my boundaries, which would have enabled other people to really take my vision and deliver my vision. Um, so I think that's something something I that's, learned anyway. That's a
0: great bit of advice. Now, let me ask you, as a very successful uh, woman in cybersecurity and in business, um, can you point to some gender differences uh, that challenges that come about be- as a result of gender differences, whether that be in cybersecurity or recruiting that that you've experienced or and how do you overcome them?
1: I've got some great research and insights that I think we're gonna get onto with with women in cyber. Um, But I think the big challenge, and it's one like women have everywhere, is is kind of perception. You are constantly battling the perception that other people have of you because of your gender or because of your, your age. And even if that other person doesn't have it, you've experienced it so many times that you feel it in every situation, or at least I certainly do. The amount of people that sat across the table from me and literally even said to my face, Young to be doing this, or you know, and really, what they meant is, you're a girl, and I'm going to talk to the man next to you because I think that man will give me the answers I want. And you know, I think that's the perception we have. We know we're discriminated against. We know we face these challenges. So you know, we see that in all walks of all walks of life, all careers. That's the big challenge. I think, I have. Would
0: think in cyber, there would be a lot less of that, given the disbalance in supply and demand of of people, like. Uh, We've had uh, at dark rhino. We've had a lot of women in the business and and uh, our lead threat hunter, she's she's brilliant young lady. And we're just glad to have great people, you know, so we look at it a little differently. Maybe we're from Ohio, so we don't know any better. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, one uh, thing I would say is it's changing. It's definitely changing. Like companies really want women um, in their cyber teams. And what I was seeing in the recruitment world was women were actually getting job offers, which were paying them up to 30 percent more. Yeah. I mean, you think women are being paid less, but they're not. Um, But again, it comes back to perception because we feel like we're being paid less. We feel like we're being penalized.
0: Perception is reality, but. 30 percent more than males, that's actually uh, I did not know that I learned something new today.
1: Well, I think two things. So, I think the really easy thing to say is companies want women, so they're paying them more just to get them. And I think that's true when it comes to how many job offers women get, because we would see women get more job offers and we would see them get them quicker. So, I think you can put that down to supply and demand. But what we found with the women getting these offers is they had a very broad background compared to men so they were maybe coming from risk management or project management and they had different skills so i think it was the breadth of skill sets that they're bringing that enabled so then that's um,
0: merit-based which is which is the right thing to take place i mean if you have more skills then you should get paid accordingly
1: yeah absolutely and my real fear with this research was um everyone's just gonna think we're chucking money at women and they don't really deserve it so it was really like heartwarming when I went through. I was like, I don't think that's the reason. I think these women genuinely deserve this money. And it's not about. And do you think that
0: it's uh, maybe women feel that they need to have a better leg up so they're spending a lot more time and investment in broadening their skill set? Or are there other reasons why they're carrying such a broad skill set in cyber?
1: women 100 work 10 times harder than the men <laughs> i have to say it like i've interviewed a lot of them it's always the women that have done their research that are you know wanting to be on point with what they're saying when you talk to them and i see this in the interviews and in my role as a, a judge on some of the awards as well the women are out there in the schools they're speaking to children about getting them into cyber they're doing extra projects extra training whereas the guys you know, and there's some lovely ones, but you know, they kind of show up and go, I do my job and I do it really well. And that's, and that's it. But yeah, I think if you're going to generalize, you know, women often are more personable, they do have more empathy, and then have learned to communicate that to the to the business in a different way, which is a skill that we see um, really underrepresented in security, you know, how can I actually communicate this to the business in a way they understand? And I do think that on the whole, women are able to do that really well. well
0: uh, that's a very good observation. And I think anyone who's all our listeners out there should pay note to that. If, if you're uh, looking to change careers into cyber and you're a, a woman who's looking to make the switch, this might be a great time to go do it. I know we, we would help. We, we have a lot of training programs that help people come along because there's such a huge demand for things that we're doing right now good people are good people. So
1: they are there's so much demand, it's like a great time to get into cyber, especially if you're female,
0: you talked about risk, you mentioned it very briefly. And this is a topic that's often talked about in cybersecurity circles. So kind of give us your view and maybe Orpheus's view of what risk is how you should assess it, manage it what give us some insights here.
1: So at Orpheus, we take the approach of kind of your risk is your threat and your vulnerability, and then you couple that with your impact and that's your that's your risk. So, and, and we can obviously then look at not necessarily your impacts, that's quite internal, but we can look at your threat and your vulnerability for you. Um, and I think it's really around around that piece, you know, what is your impact? And I think that's where, as a profession, we need to start talking more. What's the impact to the business, to the bottom line? What does this cost if we do it, don't do it? Um, And put that in a way then that, the board can understand that other people in the business understand. And he used to talking about risk that isn't cyber risk, right. you know, the whole range of risks in the business. Right. They're used to talking about so
0: that. We have um, a couple episodes back. We had a gentleman by the name of Warner Moore on the show. And uh, I th- he made a really interesting observation that we would agree with him based on our own personal experience that a lot of times risk is talked about, but it's not really addressed well. And we see this time and time again, where if we go into an organization and really ask them, what are their crown jewels? What is worth protecting? You know, whether that be data, intellectual property, it be a product. What is what is that crown jewel set and who has access to it and what's the likelihood it would be impacted by a cyber incident? We don't usually get a straightforward answer on that.
1: Yeah, and I I think there's two things in there. So I think one is, you know, who is really educating cyber professionals and CISOs on how to communicate risk? Like, you know, if we come up through the technical, um, technical route, you know, we're not getting access to the CFO who might talk to us about how they see risk and how they measure risk. Um, and then I think the other thing is it's really complex. Like it's really easy to say, well, you should know where your stuff is and you should know who has access to it. But if you're in a a company of a couple of hundred thousand people with however many systems, and some of them are old and there's all sorts of processes and people jumping up and down, you know, that's hard. Like, it's really hard to put in those sort of programs. You know, I've worked with quite a few organizations putting in their IDAM programs and It's hard, it takes them a long time, a lot of money and really specialist people to get a handle on it. It's not easy stuff.
0: So how would you suggest a company begin? So, uh, and to give you the company I'd like you to think about is a company with companies that are 2000 employees and below. Because we know in in the much larger organizations, there is a focus on risk and, and there's usually teams set up to try and look at this. But in that mid range of company, how, is there some tips and pointers and things that you would provide as a guiding light if they wanted to really look at examining risk?
1: I think you have to put people in charge of the right thing and put specialists in charge for what you what you need, you know, putting everything under the CISO or even everything between a CISO and a data protection officer. Like, you know, you're not really solving a problem because they have so many fires to fight. So. If working out who has access to what uh, is really a a priority, put in an IDAM person, put them on a contract if it's not going to be forever, you know, but put someone in charge of just doing that. And I think even at 2000 people, that's still quite big, you know, you're going to need it and you can, you can make one person responsible for that. That I think is like where you need to start.
0: Do you think there is a recognition by executive leadership in companies that risk is a business problem and not a cyber risk is a business problem and not an IT problem?
1: I'm not sure yet. I think we're getting there. Um, I think we're saying the right things. And I think as an industry, you know, generally, we're being listened to, like, it's taking a while. But I think boards and companies really are understanding now, you know, how important cyber is. So, I think we're getting there. I'm not sure we're there yet. Not in all companies, for sure.
0: Yeah, um, we tend to agree uh, that we, we've we seen a similar thing. I think the conversation really does need to be brought up to the board level uh, in dollars and cents terms and, and in probability of loss. But, um, and, and Orpheus, you're doing this in an automated fashion. Are you, is your technology looking at the environment um, and evaluating, or what's the process, if I might ask?
1: So we look at a couple of things. So we've got this amazing team of threat analysts that are, you know, doing very high quality threat intelligence work, and that feeds into our platform. And then we have some quite exciting machine learning, looking at vulnerabilities. So we're looking at the severity of the vulnerabilities on a company's environment, but also what vulnerabilities could be exploited or do we think are likely to be exploited in the future? Um, You know, you will know not every vulnerability gets uh, that we see gets actually used. exactly, you know, we see I think it's like several hundred a day get, uh, get discovered, but it's, you know, actually, not that many of them go on to be exploited. So our machine learning can predict which ones will be exploited in the future. Um, It's over 90% accurate. So it helps companies really prioritize which ones they go after based on, are they being exploited? Will they be exploited and how severe they are? And then they can apply those two things uh, to themselves or to their supply chain. So that's where it gets really powerful. We can then start looking at a a supply chain for a company and help them work out, you know, where is my risk in my supply chain? So you're building
0: a business specific model, a custom model for each client, uh, essentially with the technology
1: exactly and then you know they can drill down on it so the right people in the right teams can go drill down on that you know if you care about what your threat profile is that's in there if you care about what vulnerabilities that's in there and if you want to work with your third parties and say this is a problem you need to go fix it then we have all the data that tells you this is what you need to go fix
0: what's the role of threat intelligence in this
1: So for us, you know, you can't just say, well, here's, here's all your vulnerabilities. You know, if nobody cares about them or cares about you, then the threat to you is pretty low, right? You can't go and fix everything. Like we've been saying, it's complex. So you need to really understand your threat profile to be able to work out where to start. So like for us um, and for me, you know, learning so much about it, threat intelligence is just so crucial. I don't understand how anyone does anything in security without it. See,
0: uh, you know, uh, one of the complaints we hear quite a bit uh, from security professionals and practitioners is that there's a lot of threat intelligence. But it needs to be made actionable. Uh, And uh, that's an arduous task. Uh, Any commentary on on that?
1: So I would say if you have so much threat intelligence that you need to do something with it, that's not intelligence, that's information It's data. And there's like, you know, you can get hundreds of alerts right. and feeds and whatever you want. And right. then you're going to need a team of people to pick through it. That's not intelligence, like intelligence for us is something that tells you, this is a problem. This is where it is. This is what you need to do about it.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's uh, it's a little bit of a complex process, I would imagine, unless you have put some thought into the automation of it, or looked at the vulnerabilities, as, as you're saying, and saying, you know, what particular threats do I really need to examine? And which can I just disregard, if you will?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, and that's why we have a team who are who are doing that and then supporting our clients with it, you know, we're saying, well, our nation state really a problem to you, like, maybe not, maybe they're not, you know, someone you need to worry about. But what you do need to worry about are these people with a, a social justice agenda that keep talking about you and you know, who want to target you because they don't like what you're doing. You know, that's what we're, what that's what we're doing for our clients.
0: Now, do you think that maybe there is a more uh, a heavier reliance on tools uh, by companies? then there should be, right? And not as much a focus on processes and and procedures as it relates to cyber.
1: Perhaps, I mean, I think if we talk about people process technology, I've been hearing a long while, you know, it's about the people, uh, not about the technology. and, you know, I don't know, maybe this isn't necessarily my area, but I definitely feel there's a lot of confusion in the market. There's a lot of confusion about what tools are a good uh, confusion on how do we balance getting innovative solutions in from newer companies, but balance that with, well, Hey, we're going to go with the big guys. Cause we trust you and that feels safe, whether or not you're the best. Um, and how are we really like analyzing the ROI on these tools? budgets in cyber are being going up and up and up that can't happen forever so we really do need to start analyzing is this working for us is it necessary is there a better cheaper more innovative solution that we could be deploying Um, and i know everyone has a different strategy you know some people want everything from the same vendor because it's simple some people don't want to rely on the same vendor because that feels risky but so i don't know if we have too big a reliance on tools but i think we could definitely Use them better and use the industry uh, better. Uh,
0: let me let me frame it. I, I think a lot of our listeners might be familiar with the pyramid of pain. It's a in cyber, a lot of folks know about it. We know how to handle the base; those known knowns. We know how to deal with the unknown knowns. We can address to a very large degree. At the very top of that thing are refined or new techniques, tactics, and procedures, right? New TTPs. Uh, and that's not the domain of a vendor. That's really the domain of human consciousness. A tool's not going to solve it, like um, the solar winds hack, right? That I don't know there's a single platform or any technology that was capable of detecting, solving, finding, any of those things, right? It took human intelligence to do it. So when you see things like that, it just brings the question that is there an over reliance there and maybe should we be giving the uh, the people a lot more of a stake in the process than just relying on a sock showing potential threats and the analyst only acting when they see something change on their screen. Why not go find it first?
1: Yeah, right. And, you know, I think I'm seeing a lot more companies put people in to do roles like that to do that kind of threat hunting threat detection piece. And, you know, I'm sure everyone listening will, will know all the stats around the socks, you know, how many false oh, positives, yeah. I think analysts get less than 10 minutes to triage something can make a decision. And, you know, that's, that's really hard, you know, either you need to change what the tools do make them more effective, you either need to back it up with more intelligence, like proper intelligence, you know what you need to be looking for, um, or you need more people, or, you know, we need more education as well. Do, how many businesses are really invested in cyber awareness to educate the employees in the business on what they need to be looking out for? You can't stop every right. phishing email. So you right. need to have some people that have a, a vague awareness when something doesn't look right.
0: Do you think the Solar Winds hack is going to uh, affect that positively? maybe raise the awareness on exactly what you just said, raising people awareness.
1: I think so. I think every time there's something this big, you know, you see a little bit more uh, awareness in the public consciousness. And I think what's positive about this one is it's really brought to the forefront that third party attacks are the big the big risk. But I also wonder, and I don't have the answer to this, but, you know, when you have an attack like this, where I don't think anyone could have stopped it, right? You know, it was, it was so sophisticated. And I think we're all aware that, you know, very sophisticated attacks will happen and we'll get through. So if you're a business, do you turn around and say, well, if we can't be secure, why do we bother? Why are we spending all this money when, you know, let's spend a bit less and accept a higher level of risk? I'm not sure. I think it just makes it harder when you as an industry say no one could have stopped this to then ask for more investment to stop those attacks.
0: Well, I think it gets uh, if you know what your crown jewels are and what you're really defending and. You mitigate you really mitigate against those right. And, And you do the best possible job. Then I think then that's the best that you can get. I mean, beyond that, there is being in business is a risk. There, there is a degree of risk there, as we all know. Uh.
1: It is, and you know, what I really thought was positive about this particular breach is how like the community came together to back everyone up, you know, lots of stuff around, well, let's not, let's not jump to conclusions, let's not criticize, you know, this, this hurts everyone. And I, I thought that was really great to see as an industry.
0: Now, what do you think are going to be some changes that the whole COVID pandemic has brought upon our industry. How do you think that's going to affect long term the cybersecurity space?
1: It's going to be so interesting, right? I don't know that there's a one. There's no one answer. I think some companies are going to go fully remote and some companies are going to be desperate to rush back to the office. And most companies will go somewhere in between. Um, I'm not sure that we. uh, you know, I have this feeling that, you know, companies will come more back to the office than they will stay remote. So um, I keep likening it to, if anyone remembers the friends episode where Rachel takes up smoking, because everyone's going outside and making all the decisions yeah. on their cigarette breaks, like, yeah. that's going to kind of happen when some people are in the office and some people aren't, it's going to be hard to keep that going. So I do feel like we might end up more physically back in the office than we think. But, if we're going more remote and we're having to put in more uh, kind of cloud-based solutions, and we're going to change our infrastructure of businesses, then we're going to have to change the security that goes with that infrastructure and how that's managed. Which I think would be quite interesting. And um, we were obviously talking a little bit earlier. You know, why haven't we fixed some of these problems earlier? But and part of that is companies have old legacy systems that you know it makes it really hard to do that with. So actually, if we're going to go through this period where work and organizations really change, it changes come off that. And I think that's going to change how we secure them and change how we think about security.
0: Zero trust. Uh How much of a play do you think that's going to have going forward?
1: I do think that, the, you know, the moving to the cloud piece that you mentioned is really interesting because we're certainly seeing the regulators start to take note of that, right? You know, they're saying that actually You can't just outsource your security for that and just assume it's secure because that's what you've been told. There's a lot of interest in actually how we how we secure that. So I think that's going to be a really interesting.
0: You bring up uh, an interesting point, and we would advise everyone that's listening that is using AWS or the Microsoft environment or Google to really read the fine prints of their contract, because when you read those fine prints, they don't say that we take care of everything. And there is a a big responsibility on the part of the user uh, of those systems for their security.
1: Yeah, and I think think that's going to be a big area. You know, we've certainly seen that. The amount of cloud security jobs that are available, you know, it's clear that that's something the industry think is the big problem.
0: how do you quantify risk on that? the end user doesn't control aws they don't have control over google's environment or microsoft's environment for that matter but they are absolutely carrying a degree of risk from those organizations onto themselves
1: yeah they are and it's it's really it's really challenging right you know how how can you manage that risk it's an area where Maybe this isn't the right answer, but for me, you at the moment, you just have to accept a level of risk.
0: Do you see differences between Europe and North America in their views on cybersecurity?
1: I see a big difference in attitude. Um, I'm not sure if I see a big difference in how we're really approaching it. Um, you know, I think the attitude in America in general is just very positive, you know, great. How can we get involved? How can we help? How can we fix it? Uh, whereas in Europe, maybe a little bit more cautious, things take longer to do. Um, you know, we're slightly yeah more cautious on, on what we implement. I think there's a view that America is far further ahead on their security than Europe. And I'm not convinced that's true. Uh, I think there are areas where that's not true. Maybe somewhere it is, you know. Um, instant response, I think, is all being driven out of America. Um, But yes, there are some differences.
0: GDPR, a good thing or a bad thing for cyber?
1: I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think what it did for the industry that was really positive is companies had to notice it, Um, you know, those fines are too big to not to ignore. And so I think we saw a lot of investment coming off the back of that. And I think that that's a really good thing. You know, I'm sure there are areas in companies where, you know, we're not quite complying and there are there's definitely a bit of, um, you know, boredom from the public on certain things. Uh, you know, it gets waived as a, a tool in often in not quite the the right ways. But I think overall, yeah, it's a good one thing. last yeah. thing
0: that I wanted to touch base on. And we're getting close here is this whole topic of IT hygiene. Okay. And you mentioned it's hard. There's things when we were talking about processes, you said it was hard. Is that the reason why you, you think uh, IT hygiene is difficult to follow in the cybersecurity space? We see that's a lot of failures in hygiene is result in breaches.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I've spoken to people on both sides of this right people that are like, look, we know these are problems for long enough, like why can't we just build it in a different way and stop like just build it securely, it's not hard. And then I speak to people in really large organizations, like I said, you know, legacy systems, lots of people, lots of priorities. And then I start to understand, okay, this is actually really, really hard. It's not as easy as saying, you know, just patch everything or patch the most important things. Well, you know, you should have known about this. Why haven't you done that? Like it's, they're hard to do. It's hard to get the time, the downtime. It's hard to know what to prioritize as well sometimes if you don't have the the right intelligence to help you. So yeah, in my opinion, like I've seen enough people explain to me why it's hard to go, I get it, it's hard.
0: Carla, we're coming up on the hour here, and I wanted to let you get the last word in here. Is there anything you'd like to plug a book, a show, any upcoming events, anything you would like everyone to look out for?
1: Well, I've only recently joined Orpheus, so, you know, I'm going through my own journey of learning more about the threat intel world and third party risk, Um, but. You know, I'm really excited by what we're doing. The more I learn, the more I look at our competitors, and the more I look at what we're doing, um, the more excited I am about what we have to offer. So go and check out Orpheus and uh you know you can get the rest through my LinkedIn or or just quick Google of Orpheus. We'll Cyber. put
0: the links in the show notes. Right? Even so better. That people can connect. Well, thank you, Carla, for joining us. Uh it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye.